0: Legs, nothing personal, word of the day. Today is Friday, just another manic Friday. Wish it were Monday, because that's my fun day. Legs, word of the day, May 21st. Legs is an expression that was taught to me during media training way back in 1999. A story has legs, and you want to cut off the legs like Lieutenant Dan you don't want a story to have legs, especially a bad PR story. You really don't want good stories to have legs either because you want them to naturally grow. You can't create a viral moment. Try to do that so many times. With the Marlins, you stage something and say, hey, why can't this go viral? And then you fire your social media people because it doesn't go viral. And then they tell you, we can't make something go viral. We just have to be creative. So let us be creative. And I say, no, make something go viral. Legs is an an expression, I guess, that's used. And the reason why you want to cut off the legs of a story that's negative is you want people to stop talking about it. And the way to get people to stop talking about a story is for you to stop talking about a story. So what we're taught is even when you want to respond to something, you generally try not to because that will just extend the story, thereby giving the story legs. Sometimes, however, legs just grow. I keep picturing Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool when his legs get cut off and he has to grow legs back and he's meeting with all his people. It may have been Deadpool too, one of the Deadpools. That's what happens when you cut off the legs of a story, but then something happens subsequent to that and then the story starts again. That's what's happening with Tony LaRussa it's got legs. Tony, here's what happened. You cut them off. You stopped talking, which was good. That was important because every time you spoke, all you did was create content. So thank you. But then MLB started growing the legs back. They went full Ryan Reynolds. They announced suspensions yesterday. And I was shocked, dismayed, but totally understood why. And now I'm going to explain it. So if you think back to the Tony La Russa incident, where he was upset that your mean Mercedes hit the 3-0 pitch off the position player for a home run in a blowout game. And he said that was a dumb mistake. And he was calling out his player. He wasn't backing up his player. Then one of his other players, Lance Lynn said, no rules when a position player pitches. He said, no, you've got a locker, not an office. Yada, yada. Okay. So the next day, the Twins are playing again. Tyler Duffy takes the mound. It's probably late, late in the game. Perfect situation, which is not an accident. I know you know this. Then why would I say it? So I shouldn't cut that out, Coca. 80 60 when you are going to hit a player in retaliation for either a player of yours being hit or a violation of the unwritten baseball rules, there are scenarios that you go over with the pitcher to tell him before the game, not only will we pay your fine, but also here are the scenarios where you will hit the following player. It'll be the third inning to the sixth inning. It'll be with two outs, no one on. It'll be the seventh inning with a lead of four or more with any number of outs and anything other than the bases loaded. You go through the scenario and then when the time comes, you remind the pitcher, you give the sign and the player gets hit. That's how it works. Tyler Duffy comes in the game and he violated the rule of hitting an opposing player. He, he didn't hit him, he missed, he threw behind him. All right, gets thrown out of the game. Rocco Baldelli storms the field argues on behalf of his player, which is what you're supposed to do when you're a manager, you back up your player, even when you know the player's wrong, that would be the scenario under which we would always pay the fine for our manager who got ejected. If we knew our manager was out there arguing, knowing that his argument was wrong, knowing that the player was wrong to have argued and gotten ejected, but the the manager is out there to defend the player. We like that. Tony La Russa didn't do that. Rocco Baldelli did. So MLB waits a few days. They get together, probably speak to Mike Hill, Raul Abanez, and they announce that Tyler Duffy has been suspended for three games for throwing behind Mercedes and Rocco Baldelli has been suspended for one game. Rocco Baldelli did not appeal his suspension and served it in the second game of the split doubleheader against the Los Angeles Angels of Pools. And Duffy is appealing. When you appeal a suspension, that means you can keep playing. And then there's a hearing before the commissioner or representative, wink, 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 if you're watching on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel and hitting the subscribe button, wink, wink. And then that suspension will go from three to two or in the case of Nick Castellanos with COVID, it goes from two to two. But in this case with Tyler Duffy, not even a way to see. He'll get a game off. It'll go down to two games for sure. All right. MLB makes that decision. But why? Why didn't they suspend Tony Larusa when he came out publicly and said that he has zero problem with his own player being hit? But the manager who argues the ejection of the pitcher who tried to do the hitting gets suspended. Here's why. MLB as a disciplinary body is very much into precedent. They're very much into talking about the action, not the reaction. The action in this case, and it changes every time, was Duffy throwing behind Mercedes. The reaction was LaRusse saying, I had no problem with it. The action was Castellanos taunting the pitcher after he scored the run. The reaction was the other players scuffling and fighting and benches clearing, etc. They like arguing that if we take care of people's actions, we won't have to deal with the reactions. And I always had an issue with that. And maybe it's from childhood, where as a reactor, I always got in trouble. I was never the initiator. And I don't mean playground fighting, because as I discussed on a radio show in Canada yesterday, on TSN 1050 with someone named Matthew Cause at five, five, a buck 25, sometimes a buck 28, depending if I have pizza Wednesday. Or if I stop running, sometimes I can get to a buck 31, by the way. But then I start running, go to the bathroom and I'm back to being a buck 28 or so. What am I going to do? I'm not instigating anything, but I would react with my mouth. And by reacting with my mouth, I would always get in trouble. I'd be the one sent to the principal's office. I'd be the one who got detention more than Judd Nelson. I'm the one who paid the price. So as I got older, I wanted to always enforce against the reactor. Because while you're right, if there's no action, there can be no reaction. You're also right if you believe that after an action, which is always going to happen... If you don't have the reaction, then there is a calming down of the situation. But MLB is an action-generated suspension fine sort of organization. Later in the show, we're going to talk about NBA fines and how the NBA decides to do its fines and why they're inconsistent and why that's a problem. People are saying it's inconsistent for Duffy to get three games and Baldelli to get one game and La Russa to get no games. And now I've clearly explained to you why that is. The LaRusa story continues to have legs. Did you see CeCe Sabathia, Coca? CeCe Sabathia is a retired player whose wife just became an agent. Did that ever make the show? We were gonna do a topic about his wife who joined an agency and is now a full-fledged agent. I think we may have cut it which you know how we do nothing personally, come up with a bunch of topics. We talk the night before, we make some cuts, talk the morning, make some cuts, and then give you 45 minutes unedited, much to the chagrin of many, but much to the delight of an important few. So Amber Sabathia is an agent. Her husband, CC Sabathia, was on a podcast and he went nuclear on Tony La Russa. And I think MLB has to be aware where its players are, and they've got a blind spot to that. Now, CC Spathy is retired, doesn't matter. If you're MLB, you've got to look and see where are your players. They do it on other issues as they're worrying about collective bargaining and they're giving in on a few things and not a few others. When you've got this level of unanimity against an action by an executive or by a manager, You have to address that and the best way to address it is with proportional responses to the reactions and they chose not to do it. Not sure why, but I got to say that legs are the nothing personal word of the day. Okay, we have a segment that we do called So You Wanna Talk to Samson. You know what I want? (laughs) I wanna talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That is a, that's the music from Half Baked. I think that's the segment from a movie called Half Baked. I know there's a character in Half Baked called Samson. We've been doing this for quite a few episodes, like hundreds. It's when you get on Twitter at David P. Samson, you have to hit follow or else it doesn't count. So in order to DM, you have to be a follower. Not really, but I don't think I would really respond if you're not. Again, because Coca needs shades for his new apartment so we need followers so david p sampson ask a question and i'm going to answer it and if it's on a trending topic an interesting topic something that i want to talk about that day i may save it for the show or i may give you a quick answer back on twitter i try to engage with as many of you as i can i've done a really good job of getting to everyone who commented about panic attacks and anxiety attacks and the impact that that show we did with lebitard had I also do a good job of getting back to you on nothing personal stuff, I really do, more than most. Actually, someone recently told me who was, uh, who's in the media, who's been in the media much longer than I have, I'm only, this show's only a year and change old, and said, you gotta stop engaging so much with people on Twitter because you're gonna lose your mind, there's not enough hours in the day. And I said, I've got 21 to 22 hours, how many do you have? That was the end of that conversation. Here was the question that you asked, and it was a good one. How would you handle the 85% threshold for vaccine protocol changes if you were the president of the Cubs? Why is he asking that? I shouldn't say it's a he. That's the thing about Twitter. You don't really know anybody's name. Sometimes you do, but you actually don't know. I worry about catfishing Coca. I send Coca pictures all the time. I get people on my Instagram at David P. Sampson in the... um somewhere on the page that I can find. And it's all of these women, mostly 99% women, 1% men who are trying to get in contact with me, but they do it with a username. That's got a lot of numbers and it looks like a picture that is interesting. And Coca says, David, that's a robot or that's someone who's catfishing you, but I still send them the stuff and say, are you sure this is one? What about this one? What about this one? Not sure this was a catfish, this question, because the type of photos I'm talking about don't come with a question like this. The questions are somewhat different, and they involve potentially plans for tonight. So what is this 85% threshold? It's not the industry average payroll. One day I'll tell you that story of why I've got a jersey that says my name with 85 on it, the 85% industry payroll threshold that came up in Montreal. That's the reason for all of you people who wonder how Jeffrey Laurie got to Florida. It's called 85. I'm teasing that for another day. Coca, try to remember because I'll forget in about seven minutes. 85% is the number required of tier one employees to be vaccinated in order to relax COVID protocols. Tier one employees are people on the field in the clubhouse. So it's uniform people, coaches, It would be your GM, it would be your president, it would be those people who are in the clubhouse on a daily basis, your clubbies, etc. And if you get to 85% of those people being vaccinated, you are then able to have in-person meetings in one room. And why is that important? Because before every series, there's a pitcher's meeting and a hitter's meeting and you're all in a small room, you're looking at video together, and if you can't be in the same room, you've got to have like 10 different pitchers and hitters meetings. Spoiler alert, teams are violating that as we speak because it's such a big pain in the neck. But it has to do with what you can do on the road, what you can do on a plane, et cetera. So Jed Hoyer decided yesterday was the day to go public with his disappointment regarding the Cubs and their inability to get 85%. And I had a flashback to my friend, Tom Kohler, who listens to the show, former pitcher of the Marlins, and now is retired. And he led a meeting many years ago, I think it was 2016, when there was a virus in Puerto Rico that would make women who were going to be pregnant, who could be pregnant, who might get pregnant, who are pregnant, they would get sick or the fetus would die. And males who are trying to get females pregnant, if they got this disease that they would have a baby who was disabled or dead. I can't remember what it was Zika. Thank you, coca. It was Zika. Is that the one with the mosquitoes? Anyway, Zika was a big one. And we were supposed to play in Puerto Rico. Tom Kohler led a meeting and convinced the other players. And there was a guy named Craig Breslow, who's a yelly, smart guy. Bonds was in that meeting, I recall. And it basically told us that they weren't going to Puerto Rico, period. And so I had to call the commissioner and say, sorry, we have to cancel Puerto Rico. And it was a bad phone call. And the answer was because the players got together and convinced themselves that they knew more than science. We had our team doctors there. We had MLB sanctioned doctors explaining the risks, explaining how everything was fine. They shouldn't worry. And we need to go to Puerto Rico each of the players were gonna get paid more money to go to Puerto Rico, yada, yada, yada. We didn't go to Puerto Rico. So there was a meeting that takes place with all your teams. If I am running a team right now, I'm having this meeting. So all 30 teams did have this meeting regarding the vaccine. You bring in people to educate players about the vaccine. Here's what it does. It enables you to not wear a mask It stops you from being hospitalized and dying if you get COVID. You still have to be careful with the vaccine. It's not a cure. It doesn't 100% work that you are not gonna get it, but it will work to make sure that A, you're okay, and B, that we can get back to normal. So the players would stand up and say, "Ah, are you sure? Because I don't wanna bring COVID home and I'm being super careful right now, whatever. Zika, I had a more reasonable chance of believing the players because there was pregnancy involved. This, there's parting involved, and I know the players haven't stopped parting because of COVID. So I really would not be a huge fan of players saying they don't want to get vaccinated. I'm not a judger, but I would be... Very convincing saying to the guys, listen, there's no downside to this. There's no religious issue that you have. If you do, you would have come to me. There's no political issue because I don't care if you're Republican because you're rich and you want to be Republican. I don't care. I don't care if you're Democratic and you're rich and you want to be Democratic. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care anything about it. What I care is the science says this works. And just because the Yankees got COVID after being vaccinated, it's irrelevant the number of people getting COVID after vaccination is de minimis. You have a better chance of getting a hit and your name is Lewis Brinson. But the Cubs said, I really don't want to get vaccinated. There are a lot of players doing it. Can you imagine only half the teams are at 85%? So Jed Hoyer got permission from Tom Ricketts, his owner, and said, you know, I think I'm going to go public because I believe that there's competitive disadvantage to following the COVID protocols. So he does. He said, we've worked hard to try to convince or educate the people that have been reluctant. We're at a place right now that I'm not going to give up hope. We're going to get there. But my level of optimism is waning. It is disappointing. And he said, this can be avoided and we're not able to avoid it in some ways. And he's totally right. What he's talking about is that any time you take a player or a group of players out of the routine that they've been going through since they were in the minor leagues, when they get to the park, what they do when they're at the park, what kind of meetings they have before each series then before each game, what they do after a game, the way in which they shower, the way in which they eat, it is routine-based. And the season of 2020 COVID did not change their routine. But of course... The player for the Cubs decided not to back up Jed Hoyer when asked. They went right to the veteran, which is what you do. They went to Jake Arrieta. And Jake Arrieta said, I don't necessarily see that as a competitive advantage or disadvantage. We have a lot of guys vaccinated. We have not had any cases in the past month. So we're doing okay as a group. And we're being careful about where we go and who we're around. Jake, let me me explain to you why the front office wants you all to be vaccinated at least above 85%. And why, as a GM, he probably has a better idea of the competitive advantage versus you as the player. And this is not me saying you've got a locker and I've got an office. No, this is me saying, here are the reasons, Jake, that you don't focus on. Not because you're not smart enough, not because you're only a player, not because I'm a great manager because I'm a GM and how cool am I that Theo left him now and the president. But here's the 10 things that we do that you don't have to do and you don't even have to think about. Little things. Here's the difference between you as a veteran pitcher and the 10 young guys we have who we want to get back into the routine and make sure that they are able to learn in groups. If we say it's a competitive disadvantage, then it is. End of discussion get vaccinated. Why don't you be a leader on your team and get the players who aren't gonna get vaccinated? Here's the list. It's a violation to give you the list, but I'm giving you the list because I want you to go out and as a leader of this team, go convince those players to do it. It's like when we would convince veteran players to get other players to do community events, or in some cases they would convince younger players not to do community events. You've got to go to your players sometimes. Teams sometimes call it a players council. Some teams name a captain. We didn't do any of that. What we did is just identify clubhouse lawyers. Clubhouse lawyers are those guys in the clubhouse who are nothing but shit disturbers. You don't ever go to them. Then we identify veterans in the clubhouse who are disinterested in any activities that are going on, front office or clubhouse. We get away from those. Then we look at players who are uninterested in any of the events that interest me and we don't go to them either. Then we find a veteran player who once in a while will sit down and have a drink on the road with me or the GM, and we use them to be our conduit. Not sure what's going to happen here with the Cubs or with Major League Baseball, but I guess what I could tell you is, uh, (sighs) you know, I was thinking about the Jake Arrieta comment, and I was thinking about what other veterans are doing in baseball and what other teams are doing, and Coco was able to tell me about Max Scherzer, and Max Scherzer said, we got to update rules here. We got to follow the science, start listening to what the CDC says He's concerned about vaccinated players testing positive and being asymptomatic, and he wants them to be able to play. So Max Scherzer, is he a member of the executive council doing this collective bargain agreement? I believe he is. He's trying not to agree with management on one issue, but to agree with management on another, and I've got respect for Scherzer for doing it. So the specifics of Max Scherzer's play is I want my team to be at 85%. I'm going to help the team get to 85%. But in return, you've got to look at the COVID protocols and you've got to update them right now. One of the things I want updated is that if someone gets COVID after being vaccinated with the team that's over 85% and they're asymptomatic, we got to let them play. The reason Scherzer's doing that is you know that the Nationals have had such a problem with positive tests, asymptomatic tests, and he's looking at himself being traded right now because his team is in last place. So the Max Scherzer comment goes with the Arietta comment. It goes with the conversation about the different types of veterans there are. And the best GMs and presidents are ones who can identify who's who when it comes to having players Carry your water for you. When we come back, we're going to review a movie called White Boy. It is about a white boy. I'm not sure why it's called White Boy, but it's not because of the color of his skin. It's because of the powder in his nuzzle. And I promise you that we're going to talk about Jacob deGrom. We'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of Tom Brady. My name is David Sampson. Thank you so much for following on Spotify. One of the top podcasts in baseball on Spotify. We're not just a baseball podcast. Coco, why are we categorized only as a baseball podcast? We talk about sports, culture, entertainment, all sports. Anyway, I'm thankful for you following on Spotify, for rating and reviewing on Apple, for downloading every day, for listening and for telling your friends. I watch a movie every day. I love movies. It's, it's I love it. I can't wait to finish the show, and I'm going to watch the new Joss Whedon movie that is coming out. He's the guy who did Justice League, and there's a movie coming out about zombies. It comes out today. I'm definitely going to watch that. Okay, what did I watch? It was, oh, God damn it. (laughs) Why did I? Okay, I got to tell this story. The movie is by Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder did the four hour Justice League. Joss Whedon is the guy who did the original Justice League after Zack Snyder had to leave because of a personal tragedy. And Joss Whedon did a terrible movie. Zack Snyder separated himself from it, re-released the four hour Justice League. He's now got a new movie. The reason Joss Whedon was in my head is that I keep a spreadsheet on my phone and also on my computer and on that spreadsheet, I keep every single Wait to See that we've done because as you know, I revisit Wait to Sees. And today's show, if we have time, we're gonna update a bunch of Wait to Sees. And one of them that I just read last night that is still pending was Joss Whedon will not direct a movie in 21 because he's had such a problem with his treatment of actors, he's being canceled and he's such a POS. And so Joss Whedon was in my head and Coca was talking to me before the show about Justice League. That's why I thought of Joss Whedon. Now, the funniest part of that whole story is I have no idea why I was thinking of either Zack Snyder or Joss Whedon. I don't even understand how my brain works. Oh, because I'm gonna watch the movie, yes. (laughs) It's Shabbat at camp. Today's gotta be Friday because my brain is fried. All right, I watched a documentary called White Boy. Have you ever seen Hair? White boys are delicious. Take a look at Hair. It was a movie with Tree Williams, John Savage, Beverly D'Angelo, and it was a Broadway play. It was one of the first Broadway musicals I saw, and there was nudity in it, which was shocking and awesome. But if you look at some of those songs, I wonder if that would be released these days. Nell Carter was in the movie. And I think she may have appeared on the Broadway stage as well with hair. There was a song called Black Boys and White Boys and it was something. So there's a movie called White Boy, not the Matthew McConaughey movie. That's a movie. It's about the same subject. I watched the documentary because when you can watch a movie or a documentary, I'd rather watch the documentary. And if I like it enough, I may watch both. So there's a guy named Richard Wersh Jr. And he was a Coke dealer in Detroit in the 80s. And he got convicted of possession with intent to distribute and was sentenced to prison as a 17-year-old. When you're a juvenile, it's in the judge's discretion. You can go to a juvenile home, a juvenile camp. They can try you as an adult. They can sentence you as an adult. But at the end of the day, you're a juvenile. You're a juvenile. You're a juvenile. He is the longest serving juvenile prisoner in the history of Michigan. He was in prison for like two decades. And the movie talks about documentary, what he did, and how the judges and the jury and the parole board kept him in prison all these years. And the best part of the documentary was the actual big league Samson, the big league drug dealer in real life, who got a small little prison term for something else, and he was already out of prison, and Richard Wurst Jr. is still in prison, and people are saying, of course he should be in prison. The guy was running the biggest cocaine ring in the country in the 80s. Now, he's been released since then. He got released just during COVID, but that's not the point of the documentary. The point of the documentary is, when you are looking at federal sentencing guidelines, and then state sentencing guidelines, and you apply them without any sort of emotion, you apply them without any sort of justice, you apply them without any sort of differentiation or perspective, you end up having mistakes like this. And I'm not saying he shouldn't go to jail, I'm not saying saying he wasn't a coke dealer. What I am saying is that when they're is a mistake that's made in the justice system and you have information where you can remedy that mistake? You have to. There are innocent people who go to prison. Richard Wurst Jr. is not one of them. He was a Coke dealer. But do you think as a 17 year old, he somehow, and this guy was not exactly a member of Mensa. And you think that he was running the biggest cocaine ring, a huge multi-million dollar business? No. It's called White Boy. It is well worth watching if for no other reason. If you want to do a double feature, I'd watch White Boy and Blow with Johnny Depp. That's about another Coke dealer on the West Coast. Okay. Jacob DeGrom. I like that teams are using Twitter better now. Owners are uh, letting social media teams be a little more active. They're letting social media teams do things that they would otherwise definitely not do. The Palm Beach Cardinals are a low A affiliate, a high A, a low A affiliate. I'm sorry. All the minor leagues changed. We used to, they're owned by the Cardinals. The Jupiter Hammerheads play in the same facility as the Palm Beach Cardinals, which is the same facility where the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals do spring training. It's called Roger Dean Chevrolet, St- Chevrolet Stadium. I worked there for a long time. I think I put a picture out on social media. I went to visit it during the road trip on the way down to Florida. It's actually in Florida. So it's definitely on the way because you have to drive eight hours to get from the Florida state line down to South Florida. But there is a good barbecue in Gainesville, among other things. <sighs> I lost my train of thought. Jacob DeGrom was pitching. For the St. Lucie Mets, which is another team, the minor leagues have switched what they are right now. Those teams are low A teams, not high A teams. They used to be high A. That just means that they're not very good players there. They're very young. And as you know, from all the conversation we've had about the minor leagues, each team in the minor leagues has very few prospects. Teams are used in the minor leagues, not just to develop talent. The other reason the teams are used is to let Major league players go on a rehab assignment. A rehab assignment is when you're on the injured list. That means you're not on the active roster of the major league team, but it doesn't mean you can't be on the active roster of a minor league team. Anybody on the injured list can be on any active roster at any level of the minor leagues. And the reason why you want a player to be active on a team in the minor leagues and they're only active for a, the day they play or the two days or the five days is that you want them to get at bats if they're a hitter. You want them to get innings and pitches thrown if they're pitchers. How do you choose what minor league team you send your major league injured player to? People were wondering, why is Jacob DeGrom in a game playing against kids who don't have a chance? And then the Palm Beach Cardinals tweet, what are we supposed to do? He's throwing 102. 102. He threw forty-one pitches. He struck out eight of the ten batters he pitched. He faced. There was only one base runner, which was a uh, on an error because that's what happens at low A. And people were saying, "Bring him up. He's ready. Look at him. He was dominant." The front office does not pay attention to the stat line of a rehab assignment. I'm going to start with the position player. When a position player has an oblique, they have a hamstring. They have some sort of lower extremity injury, midsection extremity issue. They're going to go to the minor leagues because we want to get them approximately as few as five at-bats and as many as 20 at-bats, depending on the injury, how long they've been out. We are not looking for results with the at-bats. We are looking to make sure that after the game that they are okay, the next morning they're okay, and the next day they can play. Because before we're gonna bring a player back off the injured list and make a corresponding roster move, we've gotta know the player's ready to play back-to-back days, multiple days in a row, et cetera. So that's what the rehab assignment is used for. The teams we choose to send a player to are based on, wait for it, I know you're gonna find this hard to believe, location. We keep a chart of where every minor league team is in the country. Are they home? Or are they on the road? We don't care about the level. We don't care about who they're playing. We don't care if we got another pitcher starting. If we want our major league pitcher to start at that particular team on that particular day, whoever was supposed to start, he's being moved back a day. Jacob DeGrom was rehabbing in Florida, take, getting treatment. Getting taken care of for his side tightness. So, therefore, he was going to rehab in the Florida State League. They looked at the schedule, and the minor leagues are playing a little differently this year, they have longer series. In the old days, pre-COVID, minor league schedule was like the major league schedule. You play a city team for three days, you go on to the next team, the next team, three-game series, you're on the road, then you're home for 10 days, then you're on the road for 10 days. Now they're playing up to six-game series because they want to limit the travel. They look at where the low-A team is in Florida. They see it's in Jupiter. Easy to get to Jupiter for Jacob deGrom. If he's rehabbing in Port St. Lucie, guess where Jupiter is? Wait for it. I know you're not going to believe this it's a half hour away by car. So Jacob DeGrom gets in his car. He doesn't ride on the team bus, I promise you that. He goes to Jupiter, he pitches in the game, and then he goes back to his apartment, his house, or his hotel, wherever he's staying while he's on rehab in St. Lucie. Because most players are rehabbing at their team's spring training facility when they're on the injured list. Most spring training facilities, all of them are in Arizona or Florida. So therefore, it makes perfect sense that Jacob deGrom would be pitching in St. Lucie. Guess what? He may pitch again for St. Lucie. I don't believe that Jacob deGrom, after 41 pitches, is ready to come back to the big leagues and be available to throw 80 pitches. He's got to progress again, and that's how we do it with rehab pitchers. You regress, not regress, you progress from 40, to 60, to 80, and you're good at 80. We'll put you in the big leagues for the 80, not the 60. He's got to have another start because I don't want Jacob DeGrom with his tightness, even if he wakes up today and is fine, which we're looking for, and wakes up tomorrow and he's fine, which we're looking for. He's got to have one more rehab start where his pitch count goes up because the reason he was taken out after 41 pitches had nothing to do with him getting to the big leagues right now and having that be his only rehab start because then he would have done 60. The reason he did 41, he's in the middle of an at bat and he just had one more pitch and that 41 pitch is done, you're gone. You know what else happens when major league players go to rehab and why minor league players love, they get the autographs from the major league player, guaranteed, his jersey, but they also get great food. The kind of food that we supply for our minor leaguers is not that good. Sorry. And do you know that minor league players also have to pay clubhouse dues because the clubhouse in the minor leagues, they do their laundry, they get their uniform set, they get the post-game food, which is not great. And players get meal money and they use that to tip the clubby. Jacob deGrom and all other veterans, all other non-cheap veterans, When they are down on rehab at a minor league facility, they will buy the post-game spread every single day. They will make it so the minor league players can keep their per diem money and not spend a penny of it. I'll bet you a dollar that Jacob DeGrom bought the post-game spread after his 41-pitch outing in Jupiter, Florida. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. Did you watch the Wizards game? You know, I did a special thing on William Hill. I had the Wizards minus 26. And the reason I did that is I got these amazing odds. So I bet a dollar and I got back $7.2 million, which was amazing that that happened last night. I got it in just under the wire. I got that bet in with a minute left in the third quarter. And I was very thankful. So thank you, William Hill. Wizards minus 26 was a winner We are 70 and 45. (laughs) Can you imagine a line of 26? Would you have taken it? You probably would have taken the Pacers plus 26 and you would have lost. The Wizards crushed them. Westbrook and Beal, they did it. They made it to the playoffs. That's a bummer. On May 11th, 2021, I said the Wizards will lose a play-in game. They did lose a play-in game. That wait to see is right wait to see is when I say something's going to happen. And it does that wait to see was right. But they also won a play game. So maybe I'm wrong. All the way back on December 3rd of 2020, I said the Wizards are going to miss the playoffs. But now that they've won the play in tournament, guess what? They're the number eight seed. They made the playoffs. I got that wrong. I told you I'll revisit him when I get him wrong. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. We got three for you because I'm feeling good. I'm loving the NBA. It's playoff time. Well, we got one more playing game. Steph Curry is playing John Morant tonight. Steph Curry's only giving three and a half points to John Morant. Can someone explain that to me? Because that can't be right. Well, we're taking the Warriors three and a half over the Grizzlies. Tomorrow, round one starts. Giannis, who can't win MVP, can't win defensive player of the year. Giannis is playing. He's playing against the Heat Saturday. Jimmy Butler's ready. Oh, is he ready? Bam's ready. Who is is he ready? Gordon's ready. Tyler Harrow's ready. But guess what? The Bucks are my pick to win the whole damn thing. And to win the whole damn thing, that was before the season even started. You got to win game one in the first round. Bucks minus five over the Heat is the Saturday pick. Sunday, my Knicks are back. Yes, they are. How great is that? The Knicks are back in the playoffs. You know who's super happy about the Knicks being back in the playoffs? The league. Nate McMillan is the interim coach. Remember Nate McMillan? He coached the Pacers. Remember Nate McMillan? I think he coached the Sonics. Do you remember Nate McMillan as a player? I do. He had some very good games against the Knicks. Well, he's now coaching the Hawks, owned by Jamie Gertz's husband. I only know that because... She was in the movie less than zero and I love her. And she's always at the NBA lottery. The Hawks are plus one versus the Knicks. We're taking them in game one. The Knicks are overhyped right now, completely overhyped. I have no idea how the Hawks are getting a point. I just don't Hawks plus one. You're saying it's a home game. I'm saying it doesn't matter. Hawks are going to win game one, but I want to talk about Nate McMillan for a minute. Do you know he was fined yesterday? 25 grand. The league fined him 25 grand. You know why? Because he came out and said something that's so true that the league had to find him. He caught Adam Silver. He called him out. I'm going to tell you what he said. It was pretty good. I've talked about this to the team a lot. Nate McBillan said, "The league needs this. New York. It's a big market for the league. New York has been out of the playoffs for a number of a number of years." This is a team that our league, they wanna see. There's a huge fan base. They wanna see New York in the playoffs. The league wants to see it. Everybody wants to see it. Even to the fact that our opening game was moved to Sunday. They wanna see this. Get ready, here it comes. 25 grand out of his pocket. So yes, we've talked about the fact that the advantages of this situation, some things that we're gonna have to face going into game one with everyone picking New York to win and a lot of folks wanting to see the Knicks in the playoffs. It's a battle. It's a challenge. Just play New York. All that comes with it. I think the NBA is excited about having them back in the playoffs. Uh Uh-oh. He went on to talk about the referees and the calls that are going to be made. Do you know the referees actually have a very big hand in who wins a basketball game because they can decide what to call, what not to call? And do you know the league very much needs the Knicks to win the first round? Do you know how exciting it is for there to be fans in Madison Square Garden and for the Knicks to be a powerhouse again? To remember Patrick Ewing going to the Knicks in the fixed lottery? All leagues need their big market teams to do well. New York teams, Los Angeles teams, you want them there in October in baseball or in June in basketball. It's nice to have superstars in the finals But believe me, if you had a choice between the Knicks with Julius Randle as their best superstar and the Heat defending their finals appearance with Jimmy Butler, they go Knicks. If you have a choice between having the Utah Jazz in their number one seed with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell versus the Lakers with LeBron, it's not even close. The league is very open about this behind closed doors. They are reticent to admit how they play favorites, how the referees get involved. They pretend it's not true. And it is. Nate McMillan is $25,000 poor today, but Jamie Gertz better pay that fine because that needs to be said. And do you know what the NBA does when they respond? Not only do they find him 25 grand, but they whisper, they call him up. They don't, tweet this they don't text it they just call them and they make sure that it's not being recorded hey nate hey nate can you hear me nate it's just business it's nothing personal